word of God for this Lord's Day morning comes again uh, from the book of Judges, chapter 7 this week. If you will turn there with me, Judges chapter 7, and we uh, begin at verse 1, and we'll work our way through these verses to verse 23. I want to just read a, a few verses in your hearing, kind of help you remember uh, what the text concerns and um, set it in your mind before we actually begin the exposition of divine truth that's laid here before our eyes. In verse 1, Then Jerubel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people are, who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. Now therefore come, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Therefore it shall be that he of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But everyone of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, You shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. Now the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people kneeled to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and will give the Midianites into your hands. So let all the other people go, each man to his home. Let's stop there in our reading. Subject for our verses uh, that I read in the rest of the passage that I'll look at this morning. Serving God by faith is the title. Believers in God are commended for their faith. Hebrews 11 verse 2 says as much when it records, For by it, faith, the men of old gained approval. The approbation is from God himself. True faith is not blind. It is not a leap across a chasm into the dark. No, 10,000 times no. It is taking him at his word. We read in Hebrews 11, verses 32 and 33, in part, these words, Gideon by faith conquered kingdoms. We see a man in Gideon, Gideon who took Yahweh at his word. He acted in faith. Uh, that was how he served the Lord, and, and that is how we are to serve him as well. Those who have come to saving faith in Christ are the only ones who are divinely eligible to serve by faith. For salvation, now get this, is the prerequisite for serving God. Once this foundational element is in place in a life, then one may move to the practical business of serving uh, Jesus Christ. Now, in our text, we're going to draw out of it 
reasons why we can serve the Lord by faith. The text really provides a basis for how we can do that. And first point we want to look at is this. We can serve him by faith because of his power. You recall that Gideon was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he assembled an army of 32,000 men. With that number of soldiers, Israel was militarily dwarfed by their Midianite oppressors who uh, boasted an army of 135,000 men, according to Judges chapter 8, verse 10. That's a 450 to 1 ratio. Yet, Yahweh said to the people in verse 2, um, the people are, who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. Let's stop there. What? Too many? You have 32,000 and your enemy has 135,000? What kind of divine calculus is this? Uh, that, that's not how we see things mathematically. But that's what Yahweh says. He gives the rationale for his statement at the bottom of verse 2. Notice it says, my own power has delivered me. That's what Israel would say. The reason for this is God's people can be devious, and they can steal God's praise. They can take credit that belongs to him for themselves. We are to give God the glory. We are to ascribe honor to him. We are to recognize that he is the one who has accomplished his mighty work through us. God is jealous for his glory. Isaiah 48, verse 11 says, And my glory I will not give to another. Gary Enrig provides an illustration for us that reflects on us. He tells of some travelers who happened upon a remote island and found some people there worshiping the moon. The visitors asked them about it and then said, it is a strange thing that you worship the moon. If you really want to worship something in the skies, why do you not worship the sun? The people replied, it is very simple. The sun only shines by day when it is light and we do not need it. But the moon shines at night when it is dark and we cannot see. They're thinking. Of course, what they did not understand is that the light of the moon depends entirely on the sun. So it is with us. As we serve the Lord by faith, we depend entirely on the Lord. We are like the moon and the Lord is like the sun. We must not take the light from which we reflect him and say we are the source of illumination. We recognize that we can't do anything without him. Yahweh, he, he wants them to understand they can't do anything without him. He didn't want there to be the sinful cultivation of pride in Israel. He doesn't want that in our life either. Psalm 115 verse 1 says this, Not unto us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. This is the right response of believers when they are used by the Lord. Whenever we are the vehicles for his work, whenever someone comes to faith 
through our ministry, we return the glory and praise to him. Whenever he has used us in a ministry situation, we acknowledge that it is the Lord who is the real source in what has happened. When somebody grows in the faith, and our ministry has had a part in it, we recognize it is not us. Ultimately, it comes from him. We're just instruments of his power. God wants us to recognize that. And we need to remind ourselves of that. God also insists on weakness. That's why he reduces the ranks. He insists on the weakness of his people. He wants to show them their need for him, that he is the one who is the one who produces victory. You'll notice that's why in verse 3, Gideon was to proclaim, whoever's afraid, and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. 22,000 people were afraid, and they left. 10,000 remained. Now, this was in accord with Deuteronomy 20, verse 8. And divine warfare under God's leadership, his captains, is the, in fact, his generalship, he is letting them know, I am the one who is fighting the battle. 10,000 remained. But even this was uh, wholly inadequate as an army. This is still too many for Yahweh. You'll see in verse 4, he tells them that that is the case, and he provides a means for separating people out and getting the thing reduced. Now, let me tell you, in case you haven't noticed, and if you've done some extensive reading in the New Testament about this, you do know that some Bible students have assumed that the lappers were virtuous in compared to the kneelers. But the text does not say that. The means of separating the men and thereby reducing the ranks was simply a mechanism used by the Lord in the furtherance of his purpose to demonstrate that it is, was his power, not them. He wanted to ensure Israel's dependence upon him. It had nothing to do with the virtue or the lack thereof of the men. It had everything to do with God saying, I am the one who does the delivering. Moreover, verse 2. Verse 2 really is the key to unlocking the, what this, verse is, this passage is teaching us. My own power has delivered me. God is going to make sure that that isn't espoused. So the odds are increased. You have 300 men versus 135,000. 300 men is a token force. They were inadequate to begin with. Now it's worse. They have no fighting chance. I think Dale Ralph Davis is correct when he writes, quote, that sometimes Yahweh insists that people be reduced to helplessness in order that they recognize that deliverance can be chalked up to Yahweh's power and mercy alone. End of quote. That's the way it is, how Lord will work sometimes in our life. He will get us into a position where we're utterly helpless, and the only thing we can do is look to him. We know there is no other help available. No matter what it is, it, it could be at your job. You're in a situation, and there's no way 
no help but from the Lord. It, it, in your home as a mother, it, it's, you have a situation, you have to depend on the Lord. Whatever the case may be. Sometimes he will put us in a situation where we can't do anything but look to him. And that was Yahweh's purpose in reduction of the military force to 300 men. Verse 7, the A portion, the Lord says, Now I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped. Saying it depends on me. Now, I'll, I'll tell you what, Gideon's faith had to have been stretched at that moment. His army now is significantly smaller than at the beginning. His army originally was inadequate in size, 450 to 1 ratio, remember? Now it's less than 1% of what it was. But God says in verse 7, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and will give the Midianites into your hands. That's a small army. But you got the divine promise. Here's a principle I think that all of us needs to, need to inscribe upon our hearts and minds and needs to stick in our brains. It has been said, you cannot be too small for God to use, but you can be too big. God is looking for small people. Not small in physical stature, but small in their own eyes. Who see themselves as not big enough for the job. But dependent on Christ alone, who is the only one big enough for the job. That is the kind of mindset believers need to have. We ought to say, God, I am not big enough. And when we say that, we're confessing reality. We're telling the truth about ourselves. Lord, you alone, you're big enough. Isn't it interesting that sometimes the people whom God used most powerfully are the people who, who, own, who seem the most insignificant? Who are small? Others look at them and say, really, them? Could it be they understand that they're small? And God knows that they know that they're small. And they're looking to him totally to do the job. And he works through them. That's the kind of candidate you want to be for the Lord's service. Recognize his power. Recognize he works powerfully in those who trust him. And that's what God wanted to teach Gideon and his band of 300 so we can serve God by faith because of his power. We recognize that. We trust him because we know his power. Another reason is we can serve God by faith because of his sovereignty. Verses 9 through 15. We know that God's sovereignty is comprehensive. It's exhaustive. It is macrocosmic and microcosmic. Thus, his rule covers the whole sweep of history which is planned and regulated by him. 
and his sovereignty is meticulous to details. Further, the sovereignty of God speaks of the godness of God. Because he is totally sovereign, he can be totally trusted. When he says he will do something, when he makes a promise, when he says something in his word to us, what he lays down in scripture, he is able to accomplish. Think about it. If you follow the word of God, you see the promises made, you see the prophecies given, and you see the fulfillment, you see God doing what he said he would do. We can rely on him to completely fulfill his word. God makes a statement in Isaiah 43, verse 13. He says this, even from eternity, I am he. And there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? Any, any takers? Anyone want to uh, say, okay, God, I'm gonna, I know what you said you're going to do, but I'm not going to let you do it, or you've done something, I'll change it? No, no one can do that. That divine pronouncement should encourage our hearts to trust him because we know he can do it. He says he's one of, he has the power to do it. He's sovereign. He can do it. And that's what God was telling Gideon. And that's what he tells us. We can serve him by faith because of his sovereignty. In verse 9, 300 men. Now notice something. Now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Gideon, arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. A command to attack. But notice the language. God speaks as if it's already accomplished. That, that's sovereignty speaking there. No ifs, ands, and buts. Or no, uh, I hope we can pull this off. No, it is a done deal. Fate accompli in God's mind because God in his sovereignty will pull it off. Something here is interesting. God in his absolute sovereign authority and power he gives his command. He expresses the certainty of it. But look what he does in verse 10. He says to Gideon, but if you are afraid to go down. Underline that. Think about that. But if you are afraid to go down, that is, if you're afraid to go on the attack, go with Pura, your servant, down to the camp. No, let's stop there for a moment. Gideon was, a f was fearful. He has seen, no doubt, the vast Midian army and their allies arrayed before him. Verse 12, look at it, verse 12. It says, now the Midianites and Anlicites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, as numerous as the sand on the sea. Gideon, he can count. He sees this massive army arrayed against him, and he know he has been charged by Yahweh to take 300 men and go and deliver Israel. He's afraid. He was willing, but if I got 300 wannabe soldiers, and I'm willing, but 
mm, I'm unable. It's understandable that fear arose in his heart. He had divine confirmation of victory. There have been the miracles. Remember the miracle, the very first encounter, the offering that was given to the angel of the Lord and none other than the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Christ accepted the offering, consumed it in fire, confirming that it was, it was he speaking to him. Remember the fleece, Judges 6, 36 through 40, God in his graciousness confirmed, yes, Gideon, I'm going to do it. He had God's word on this, assuring success. But he was afraid. Back in verse 10. But if you are afraid to go down. That's what Yahweh says to him. Let's look at that for a moment. It's revealing about God as we serve him. He is not harsh with Gideon concerning his fear. Rather, he's compassionate. He's accommodating. He's sensitive to his servant's fear. Let me tell you something. That's a significant verse. Because that is telling us that is how God is toward us when he has commanded us to do something and we are afraid. We want to do it, but we're afraid. He is saying, I understand. He's sensitive to our fears. He's compassionate toward us. Psalm 103 verse 14 says this, for he himself knows our frame he is mindful that we are but dust. That is, he knows our finitude. He knows our human limitations. He knows our fears. He knows our trepidations. He knows all of that about us. And what's fascinating about this, <laughs> God says, I'm going to help you out, Gideon. I know you're afraid. Take your servant with you. And you go down. But not only that, this is what he does. I want you to do some eavesdropping. And you will hear what they say, and afterward your hands will be strengthened that you may go down against the camp. So God is going to do one more thing for him. Go down to the outpost of the army that's in the camp. They're going to get there. God in his sovereignty arranges the events with some pagans to strengthen the hand of his man. That's why we can serve him. Who can do things like this other than Yahweh? Verse 13, when Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend, and he said, Behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian, and it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. Verse 14, his friend replied, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hands. Are you kidding me? The sovereignty of God is such that he gives them a dream 
and an interpretation. Let's explain what's going on. The barley, the barley bread toppling a tent. The barley was symbolic of Israel as the bread of the poor because of the um, rapaciousness of um, the Midianites over the past seven years. They would come into harvest time and they would take all of their harvest. And they were reduced to eating barley. So it symbolized them in this nearly decades-long oppression. And the, the, the tent was symbolic of the nomadic people, the Midianites. But think about it. <laughs> a barley loaf topples a tent. 300 men defeat 135,000 men. That's what it's conveying. And here these guys are. One has a dream, the other has an interpretation. God is in the details. I told you earlier under this point that God is sovereign microcosmically. He is sovereign over individuals. Let that think about that. He controls individuals for his purposes when he chooses to do so. There are some things we can glean from these verses that I just read in our hearing. Notice verse 13. Behold, when Gideon got there, a man was relating a dream to his friend. Perfect timing. Isn't it amazing that Gideon gets there at the precise moment uh, that the man is telling his friend the dream? Second thing, it's a perfectly designed dream. The meaning is unmistakable. Third thing we could see here is God used pagans as his channel of communication. He uses two unknown to us Midianite soldiers. One had a dream, the other does interpretation to communicate God's word to Gideon. Further, think about this. The pagans communicated, uh, the one who interpreted the dream, the defeat of their own army to the leader who would defeat them and he was unaware that that leader was eavesdropping. Tell me God isn't sovereign microcosmically. That his sovereignty isn't exhaustive. And Gideon's there hearing it. Let me tell you something about the pagans. God can use them to advance his cause. Nobody's out of his reach. Don't think God is only sovereign in our little corner of the world, in our little situation among Christians. No, no, he rules everything. That's why we can serve him. Uh, you know, in the Old Testament, there's a place in the Kings where uh, the enemies of Israel thought God, perhaps the reason they lost Israel, because he is just the God of the mountains, but he's not the God of the uh, valleys. That's ridiculous. You're God everywhere, you're not God at all. God controls his enemies. He can communicate his plans and purposes through them. 
We see this in the New Testament. It was through, you recall, the mouth of the murderous high priest Caiaphas. Caiaphas thought he was waxing wise and eloquent. He said, you know nothing at all as they were dealing with Jesus. He prophesied that Jesus must die for the nation. John chapter 11, verse 49 through 52. He didn't realize what he was saying is exactly what God was doing. He thought, I'm really wise. God used that pagan Caiaphas to prophesy what Jesus was going to do for the sins of Israel. Remember the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. He was a divine agent as well. He was unwitting, but he was. He had placed on the placard above Jesus' cross, on the cross, above our Lord's head, where Jesus is the king of the Jews, and the enemies of Jesus came and said, no, 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 Pilate, you're going to take that down. Say, he said he is the king of the Jews. Pilate said, no, what I've written, I've written. John 19, 19 through 22. God knows how to communicate his truth, even through pagans. Don't limit him what he can do. He is not limited like you and me. Now, can, you can imagine. Gideon gets here and he hears this. <laughs> in verse 15, when he heard the dream and the interpretation, he bowed and worshiped. That word bowed Literally, from the Hebrew, it is this, fell face down to the ground. He was prostrate before the Lord. It elicited worship. He doubtlessly recognized more fully the greatness of God. Worship, thanksgiving. Praise, all of that, no doubt, rose from his heart as he contemplated the sovereignty of God over the affairs of men and assured him victory was his. God said in verse 11, your hand will be strengthened that you may go down against the camp. God will strengthen our faith when we need it to enable us to do his work. Hebrews 11, verse 34, says this way, From weakness we're made strong. <laughs> made strong by faith. Gideon was made strong by faith. Well, we can serve God by faith because of his power. That's one reason we can serve God by faith because of his sovereignty. That's another reason. A third reason is this. We can serve God by faith because he is true to his word. Boy, that's important, isn't it? That God keeps his word. What's fascinating here is, notice verse 15, toward the bottom of the verse. The word arise, it says, arise for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. He's saying this to his 300 men, army. Gideon was strengthened in his faith after hearing God's word, even ironically through pagans. 
but he was ready to act on his word. And he's going to obey the Lord. Gideon and his small army were about to experience God is trustworthy. His word can be counted on regardless of the adverse, seemingly impossible circumstance that we or they may face. <laughs> now, can our army, this, this is, look at this, verse 16. He divided 300 men into three companies and he put trumpets and empty pitchers into the hands of all of them with torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, then you also blow the trumpets all around the camp and say, for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, we don't know where he got this strategy. We don't know the Lord told him it's not in the text. But think about this. The weapons of their warfare, as we saw here in verse 16, trumpets, empty pitchers, torches, and the shout. Put it like this, a horn to blow, a pitcher to shatter, a torch to shine, and a voice to shout. Militarily speaking, this is nuts. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh, this is how we're going to fight? Well, it's only nuts if you're not depending on Yahweh. When you have the word of the Lord... What is seemingly ridiculous is not. I, I can imagine Jericho, something similar. Remember, they marched around the city once a day. On the seventh day, they seven times, and they shouted in the walls. I imagine the people in Jericho looking at, look at those fools. They come every day and march around the city. That's how you're going to conquer us, going to march around, really? The 300 had to trust the Lord, too. He said to do exactly what Gideon said. This is a lesson for us. It is not our responsibility to understand how God will keep his word. It is our responsibility to do what he orders us to do. It's just our job to obey. I'm glad he doesn't ask me to figure it out, how he's going to pull it off. Just do what he says. That's our task. So the middle watch. Gideon and the hundred men who were with him, he, he takes a third of them and the others to surround the camp and elsewhere. They were with him and came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. In Gideon's day, the middle watch was the hours of 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. When they had just posted the watch, they were changing watch. You know, the guys who had been on watch, they'd go off, and the other guys come on. And you know how people can mill around, you know how people can mess around, they get into it, they got to do this, oh, yeah, I got to get in my canteen or whatever. And, you know, they're just, nobody's expecting anything. I mean, I can imagine there's an attitude of complacency among the Midianites, because after all, eh, this is Israel, we've done this seven years in a row, here we're going to go do this again, big deal. This is just kind of 
pro forma or formality with us having a, a watch. As they were doing this, verse 19, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the pitchers that were in their hands. And when the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and cried, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. They used their weapons. Blew the trumpets. Do understand that that's a shofar. It's, it has a sharp, shrill sound. Remember, this is in the middle of the night. Then they smashed the pitchers, which had concealed the torches. So they're hearing this noise, and all of a sudden they're seeing light in three different places. And then they hear a shout. Sword for the Lord and Gideon. What that shout means is this, the power of God in harmony with the obedience of man. With all this going on, you know what happened, don't you? There was confusion. There was panic. They're thinking, what is going on? Guys rubbing their eyes, guys hearing this noise, and they're hearing this shout. They think they're surrounded by an army, and what do they do? It's really what God does. Verse 22. When the th they blew 300 trumpets, the Lord set the sword one against another, even throughout the whole army. And the army fled. Do understand something. God did it. In verse 21, Gideon's army just stood around their in their place in the camp. They didn't actually do any literal fighting at that point. They just did what they were commanded to do. And God thought because he is the one who caused them to kill one another. Some of them realized, oh, wait a minute, we got to get out of here. So they began to flee. As you continue reading the story, you discover that Gideon and others chased after them. God used Gideon to serve him in a significant way. I'm calling on Dale Ralph Davis, professor, pastor, commentary writer, to say uh, these words for us, quote, we sometimes dupe ourselves into thinking that a real servant of Christ is only someone who is dynamic, assured, confident, brash, fearless, witty, adventuresome, or glamorous. Do not think you are unusable because you don't have that air about you. Christ takes uncertainty or uncertain, fearful folks, strengthen their hands in the oddest ways and make them able to stand for him at school, home, or work. End of quote. You can serve Christ because of what he will do 
true one who recognizes the source of power is him. He is sovereign, and his word can be trusted. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the truths that you've caused to be recorded here for our edification, for our learning, for our instruction, example for us who live today under the new covenant. We thank you for your work in the lives of your people, um, demonstrating your glory and building our faith. Help us in our respective task, in our present time, in our ministry, to apply these principles to our own lives, that we may replicate in them what has been done in others who so likewise trusted you. We pray you do these things because, Lord, we want you to be honored. and We want to have the joy of seeing you work and using us as your vessels. We pray these things now in the name of Christ. Amen. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to tell you the best thing you'll ever do in life Surrender your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Turn to him, the one who alone died on the cross for sinners, who was raised from the dead, who lives forevermore, and he's willing to forgive you of your sins and take you into his family. Turn to him by faith and repentance, and he will receive you. We'll be here again, God willing, next Lord's Day morning. Join us as we worship and hear and study the word of God.